Well, good morning. My name is Brian Jones. I want to welcome you here. I'm the pastor at this church. I get to work and serve with some amazing people here. So if you're brand new, I really want to, really want to encourage you to come back, get connected here. I'd love to meet you. I uh, want to say hello to those of you who are joining us online. I have been waiting all week to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Let me, let me tell you a story to get us started. As soon as I became 18, I was really passionate about my faith. So I grabbed a f- two friends of mine, Darren and Dave, and we, started, we thought, what better place to go share our faith than outside the bars at Ohio State University? And uh, for a better part of one year, every time we could, we would go on a Friday or Saturday night, and we would, people would be, college students would be going bar hopping, bar to bar to bar to bar, and that long line to get into each of them, we would just walk straight up to, to them as they were waiting to get in the bar, and we would ask them a simple question. If you were to die right now, do you, do you know for certain whether or not God would let you into his heaven. Now, at the end of a year for doing this, we were quite shocked that a lot of people did not respond positively to this. Couldn't understand why people would respond so negatively to uh, three weird Christians coming up to drunk college students, asking them on the spot if they know if they're going to go to heaven or not. And uh, so here's the thing. we were so passionate about our faith. Here's our problem. Our problem wasn't that we were ashamed of the message of Christianity. You know, the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. A lot of people won't share their faith because they're, they're ashamed. Um, and it wasn't because I wasn't willing to suffer Like the Apostle Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his servant. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel. I was willing to suffer even though I was doing it because I was a weird, obnoxious person doing something that was ridiculous. But I was willing to suffer. What I honestly didn't realize at the time was this, that evangelism is a process. My passion was well-founded. How I went about sharing my faith was completely and utterly wrong and misguided. Now, we're, we're starting a new series here today. We're calling it Game Changers. And how, how many of you remember a game that you were watching We were like, now that play, that was, the, that was the game changer. You know, in the third quarter, the second quarter, that pitch, that home run, whatever it was, that was the moment that changed the whole game. What we're going to be doing is we're going to look at four scripture verses that have the ability to change um, how we live out our faith. And today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about how God wants to use you to reach your friends and your family and relatives and neighbors, and he wants you to do it in a way that isn't weird and confrontational and odd and inauthentic to who you are. He wants to use you how you are to naturally share your faith. Because, like it says, there's this parable that Jesus told, told this story about the people. Some people won't help anyone come to faith in Christ. Some people will lead 30, 60, to 100 times. And that's what my prayer is for everyone here. That at the end of your life's journey, when you look back, you would be able to say, God used me to reach 30, 60, to 100 times. 
people in my life. So, the, the scripture that we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, that says, After all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Apollos was a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his, his task. I planted the seed, Apollos water it, but God has been making it grow. And the game-changing scripture I want to help everyone understand this morning is that evangelism, like the Apostle Paul is talking about, is a process that takes place over time with multiple people. And the best way I know to explain that is to show you this. So, every single person that has ever lived has had barriers that have kept them from coming to faith in Jesus. Okay? And there are four. Every, every person here. In fact, every single person here can find themselves on this continuum. I need this. Put that there. Forgot to take that mic out for service. That was not good. The arts team, not very happy. This mic stand represents the line that you cross when you become a Christian. How many of you are here today and you remember the time where you were baptized and you declared, I'm going to become a disciple of Jesus? Raise your hand. That happened at this point right here. Okay? This is the line. However, getting you across this line over here was a journey. And there are four stops along the way of this journey that every single person goes through. And there are barriers, okay? The first barrier, what this chair represents, is the barrier of asking the question, is there a God? If you ever talk to someone and they're like, man, I really don't know if there's a God or not, how many of you have thought that yourself? Is there a God? That's a barrier. The second barrier right here, after you determine there is a God, then the next barrier is Jesus. Who is Jesus? And do I believe in Jesus' claims to be the Son of God? Right? Just because you believe that in God does not necessarily mean that you believe in Jesus. There are lots of people and lots of religions in the world where they believe in God, but they don't believe in Jesus. Okay? So there's this first barrier is God. Then you go to Jesus. Then, do I believe the Bible, what it says? People will say, I don't believe the Bible and what it teaches. And I often ask them, have you actually read it? And they're like, well, no, not exactly. I said, well, how do you know you're claiming to not believe in something that you've never read? So you challenge them to go and read the Scripture. Then they find out that the, the historical attestation, the, the, we've talked about this over the years, that the, trust, the Bible is trustworthy because it's not some weird made-up document by some guy in a cabin somewhere that it occurred over thousands of period of time and it is corroborated by different times and different situations. So eventually you go from God to Jesus to the Bible, and then the last barrier is the toughest. This is the God barrier, the Jesus barrier, the Bible barrier, and this is the barrier of the will, W-I-L-L. A friend of mine said, you want to know why I didn't become a Christian? And I stayed at this barrier for so long. Sex and weed. I knew that if I became a Christian, I'd have to give up sex and weed. And I said, well, you're not going to give up sex after you get married. We talked about that. Every, listen, those of you who aren't Christians, there are Christians here that oftentimes will become Christians 
And then they'll jump back here because you, they don't want to give up their will. Right? If I follow Jesus, I'm not going to be able to go to the Eagles games and miss church on Sunday. Right? Right? Now, you can give your tickets to your pastor. That will redeem you. But there's this will. Every person will follow this journey, right? Here was my journey. I'm in the middle. Uh, or When I was a kid, how many, I never remembered a time where I didn't believe in God. And if you are in that situation, it's because of the influence, usually of a parent or a grandparent, that laid that foundation for you. However, I found myself in graduate school, having had all of these barriers knocked down, I went and put all these barriers back up. And I was like, I don't believe in any of this anymore. Completely rejected my faith. And so to rebuild my faith, I had, rebuild my faith, I had to ask the question, is there a God and how do I know? Well, of course we're here. How did we get here? Uh, from nothing, nothing comes, Amsel, Amsel says. It's just philosophically illogical. We are here because of something. So I knocked that barrier down. Then I ask the question, just because I believe in God does not necessarily mean I believe in Jesus. So I read every single religious book there is. The Bahava Gita, I read the Quran, which was so long. Um, I read all of these books, and then I read Jesus, and I realized, oh my gosh, you can take all the religions in the world and put them in two categories, Christianity and everything else. Because when you read those religious texts, Religion is human beings reaching up to God. Christianity is God reaching down to human beings. So I read the Gospels again. I read all of the texts and I realized that Jesus is unbelievable and weird and so true and real to life that that barrier got knocked down. Then I came to the Bible. I was like, wait a minute, all of these stories and that sort of thing. And then I asked myself the question, I am a second-year seminary student. Have I ever actually read the Bible from front to back? And I never have. I read bits and pieces, but I didn't get the whole story. After I read it, and I compared to these crazy religious texts that are out there, you think you don't like parts of the Bible, my gosh, you need to read the Book of Mormon. You need to read the Bhagavad Gita. You need to read the Koran. You talk about craziness, suddenly now the Bible became very, very sane. In fact, the thing that got me was um, Lisa and I, um, we were expecting our firstborn child, and I asked myself the question, if I... If I believed that there is a God, and I believe that Jesus is his son, I can't imagine as a parent just having a kid and not giving that kid direction in life. Basically, procreating, leave that kid and just like back off. That there needs to be some instruction about how to make life work, and that was the thing that made me believe in the Bible. And then when I got to this step, this actually was quite easy for me. Because it was more painful to be on this side than it was on this side. It's like the story in the Gospels. The disciples get into the boat with Jesus, and there's a storm. The storm is on both sides of this. 
Look at me dancing. This is so insane. I tell you, if you turn this into a clip, I will, okay. That, so what, I, what, what you realize about life is that the Gospels say that the disciples got into the boat with Jesus. And the d- disciples and non-believers both go through storms. But if you're in the boat with Jesus, it's way better to be in the boat with Jesus than without him. In fact, when I build a relationship with someone who isn't a Christian, you know what I'll pray for? I will pray that they will begin to experience extraordinary levels of pain, which makes it kind of hard to build friendships with non-believers, but I just, that's why I don't tell them that. But I, but so, and, and, and what, all it is is I pray, God, that you would take the mask off because they are already experiencing extraordinary levels of pain because life is hard. What they're doing is they're medicating or they're using other things to blind themselves and really to medicate themselves from that. So I just pray that you would rip it away and let them face the stark reality of their life and how painful it actually is. And at that spot, they're like, oh, heck yeah, I'm done. Let's do this. This is the journey of every single person that becomes a Christian. Now, that's it. When we say evangelism is a process, what we say is it takes multiple Christians to take someone from there to there. It took your grandmother, your parents. Like it took the pastor that started the church where I grew up to reach my mom, and that discipled my mom and dad, which essentially then they took me under their wing and pastored me, and it was my youth pastor, Mike Tuttle, and eventually Darren that led me to faith. It was, it was a series of decades with lots of different people to get me to go from there to there. And we have to realize that takes the pressure off of us that we don't have to feel like, oh, if I don't do it right now, They're never going to be reached. Come on, are you kidding me? The Bible talks about the providence of God, where God has his hand on your life and that person's life and is guiding you. God is eventually going to bring people together. Some of you are afraid. Your kids go off to college, or your kid goes on from college and workplace, and maybe they're veering from some of the beliefs. Maybe they were over here, and now you're having conversations. You realize, oh my gosh, they're over here, and what you need to realize is they are not alone. They're not. You feel like, oh, it's the world against you and your kid. You need to understand. God is working providentially to bring people into their life. Number two, um, um, number two we need to avoid shock and all confrontation. If evangelism is a process, we need to avoid Weird, manipulative, shock and awe techniques to get people to become Christians. How many of you have seen on TV the John 3.16 guy? Where's that like multicolored rainbow wig and holds up the John 3.16 sign? How many of you guys, you've really had to pee, you go to the urinal, and while you're going to the urinal, you're like, I just hope that there's a little track about Jesus on the urinal, right? You're like, why do people do this? It's so weird. I was uh, talking to a pastor one time. What we're going to do, we're going to start this church, and we're going to call everybody in a 15-mile radius. We are going to call a half a million people on the phone and invite them to come to the church. I said, there are two problems with that. He's like, what? I said, number one, can you imagine being a part of a church where everybody that shows up to that church 
loves getting telemarketing phone calls. <laughs> that would be the weirdest church ever. Can you imagine? I said, but second, I want you to think about this. If you call 500,000 people to come to your church, some of these people are right here. 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 When you call them, yeah, you're going to reach a couple hundred people who are right here who are ready to cross the line and they'll show up. But what do you think is going to happen to the guy that's here that gets that phone call? What do you think is going to happen to the guy that you're like, I'm going to share my faith, and you go in and just rudely just go for the jugular? What's going to happen is they're going to go from here and they're going to regress. They're going to go back. Now, so I say, congratulations, you reached 200 people and alienated 499,000 of them to Christianity because of these weird shock and awe techniques that you use. The third thing is, God wants to use you now, not when you finish a degree in biblical studies. When I talk to Christians, and I'll ask them, when was the last time you shared your faith with a non-believer? Usually what they say is, they put their head down, and I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to shame you, I'm just being honest. When was the last time you shared your faith? And they're like, honestly, I've invited a few people to church. I'm not talking about that. When was the last time you actually had a conversation where you were trying to move a person from here to here, or from here to here? And they will say, I've got to be honest, I've never done that. And then I will say, listen, I'm not shaming you because most Christians are there. But why? You want to know the number one reason people say, I haven't shared my faith with a non-Christian? They will usually say, it's because I'm afraid. But then I'll dig deeper. I'm like, why are you afraid? And it's this right here. I don't know enough. Like, I don't know enough. Like, I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm afraid that they're going to ask me a question that I don't know. I love how Rebecca Pippert in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, addresses this problem. She says this, Our problem in evangelism is not that we don't have enough information. It is that we don't know how to be ourselves. We forget we are called to be witnesses to what we have seen and know, not to what we don't know. Does everybody hear that? We're to be witnesses. Like when, when she's referring to that scripture verse where Jesus said, um, I'm going to send you out as my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what he was saying, he was talking to people who actually saw Jesus rise from the dead, and they are his witnesses. We're witnesses to what we have experienced of Jesus. The key on our part is authenticity and obedience, not a doctorate in theology. We haven't grasped that, it's really, that it really is okay for us to be who we are when we are with seekers, non-Christians, even if we don't have all the answers to their questions or if our knowledge of Scripture is limited. So first, I want to acknowledge, man, sharing your faith is a legitimate fear. As an introvert, at times, I really struggle with, like, I'll, I know I'm in a situation, I want to open my mouth, and it will stop right here, right? You ever been in a conversation, you're like, I know this is a perfect opportunity, but man, I'm scared. I don't want them to think I'm weird. I don't want them to reject me. Is it going to change our relationship so it just stops? Now, I want to give you two ways you can share your faith in a natural way, and it's not weird, Okay? The first one is this. I want you to write out and share your testimony. Your testimony is what your story of how God has worked in your life. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 said, 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then he adds this little caveat, but guys, do this with gentleness and respect. Have you ever, you ever been around a Christian who doesn't do that with gentleness and respect? Now, a testimony is, I want you to go home and I want you to grab three post-it notes. A testimony is simply, if you could show it up here, what was your life like before Christ? And then, how did I come to Christ? Who worked in my life and what happened? And then, what Jesus has done for me since then. That's it. Everyone can share that. Now, for those of you who really want to know more about the Bible, we have a class. Actually, I wrote it down. I didn't want to forget this. Hold on here. Da, da, da. It's called Growing Deeper. It's with four of the, the, the Christians I respect most in this world. Unbelievably kind, but really knowledgeable. We're having a class, a seminar on February 9th. The, the sign-up is in your programs. It's called Growing Deeper, and it will help you understand the Bible from front to back. Those of you who aren't Christians and you want to know more about the Bible, we want you to go to that class. Those of you who are Christians and you're like, I read the Bible, but i got to be honest, I read the Bible like Russian roulette. I'm flipping through pages. Okay, yeah, right there, and I'll start reading. So this will give you the ability to understand and read the Bible intelligently and, and, and intentionally. So that's the first thing, is I want you to write out your testimony and be ready to share that. But the biggest thing is I want you to focus on building relationships and praying for open doors. Do not do what I did when I was 18 at the Ohio State University. Your job is to build relationships with people who aren't Christians and then pray for an open opportunity while you're building those relationships. The Apostle Paul said this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and then pray that God may open up a door for our message. That's you and I. We build a relationship, and then we pray for the open door. When I talk about building relationships with people who aren't um, disciples of Jesus, I'm not talking about becoming friends with someone and then dumping them if they don't become believers. I'm talking about building real relationships with them. So let me give you an example of what happened uh, in my life. Um, when we lived in Ohio, uh, Lisa was a sixth grade teacher at the time. She wasn't a principal yet. And then she was friends uh, with a, a lady on her floor. And we became couple friends. Have you ever, those of you who are dating, you went and double dated, how many of you like, you like hit it off with another couple? It's really rare and you want to jump on that opportunity when it presents itself. She really liked her. I really liked him. We just hit it off. And we did a lot of things together. And um, he, it was kind of weird because he was a scientist at the Rickenbacker Air Force Base, and I was a pastor at a church. He was an atheist. I was a pastor. So it was a really weird kind of thing. For nine months, I said nothing. I knew he was over here. So all I did was pray, God, Give me an opportunity. Open up a door, an opportunity that is so clear for me, me and my introverted self, I'm scared to death, but if you open up the door that a Mack truck could drive through, I promise you I'm going to go through that door. So I knew he was here. I said nothing for nine months. 
One weekend, um, we went to go see, um, how many of you remember the movie Contact with Jodie Foster? We went out to dinner beforehand, and we went to see Contact. And when we were at dinner, I remember this conversation. So um, uh, Debbie and Lisa were talking about uh, um, values and kids at school and curriculum and something like that. And then the conversation went to church and teaching kids values. And suddenly he just sat down his glass of water and says, I have no idea why church is so important for the three of you. And his wife said, well, you know the reason we go is because in, in, the church helps us teach our kids positive values. And then um, they started talking more and more about that. Finally, I just piped in. I said, I got to be honest. Um, I think most churches do a very mediocre job at teaching kids values. What I mean by that, what, what a disciple of Jesus considers a value is usually vastly different from what the culture believes is a value. And so what is cherished and held up as a value in the culture usually is the exact opposite of what is held up as a disciple of Jesus. Well, as soon as that happened, he went after me. And it was so much fun. I was like, okay, God, now this is the door I've been praying nine months for. So we start talking about Christianity and why he believes it. And he's peppering questions at me over and over again. And I said, Tim, I just really, man, first of all, what a brilliant man. What a brilliant man. He's asking all of these great questions. And I said, I don't think you understand what Christianity is all about. You think Christianity is about making people better. So let me ask you this question. And I asked the same question I asked when I was 18 years old. If you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God, only when I ask the question now, it's different because I have a real relationship with him. I said, if you were to stand before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What are you going to tell him? He's going to say, I was a good person. And I said, oh, this is going great. I said, give, give me your glass of water. So I took his glass of water and I put it right here. I said, this is you. I said, so here's another glass of water. This is God, right? I said, so you, at the end of your life, you're going to look at God and you're going to say, I should get in because I'm good enough. I said, grab that packet of Splendor right there. I said, so he handed me the the Splenda. And I said, this Splenda is Mother Teresa. I said, where, here's you, here's God. Where are you going to put Mother Teresa on this goodness scale? And he took it and he put it right next to God. And I said, now hold on now. I've read every single thing that's ever been recorded about Mother Teresa, no exaggeration. And I said, I took it, or I took it, and I said, I actually believe if Mother Teresa was here, she would put herself right in the middle. I said, give me another packet of Splenda. And I said, now this is you. I'm going to hand it to you. Here's your glass of water. There's Mother Teresa right in the middle. Here's God. Where are you going to put your Splenda based on how good you are? And he took it and put it right next to Mother Teresa. Never forget, his wife busted out laughing. She said, it's Mother Teresa. And she took his and put it right over here at the beginning mark. And I said, now give me, give me another packet of Splenda. This is me. I'm actually going to tell you where I'm going to put my, my packet. Here's the water. Here's God. Here's Mother Teresa in the middle. Here's you where your wife humorously put you. I'm going to put mine on the other side of you. And I told him, i got to tell you, I think you're a better person than me, even though I'm a Christian, you're an atheist. The way I see you sensitively, 
um, interact with your wife and your kids. When my kids are over there, literally getting down on his knees and talking to my kids and interacting, just what a wonderful person he was. I said, I think you're a better person than me. I said, but thank goodness Christianity is not about making people better. It does make people better, but that's not what it's about. I said 2,000 years ago, the whole point of Christianity is that Jesus came and he died on the cross, and that cross is like a bridge over which you can get to God's side. I said, now that's the good news of Christianity. The bad news of Christianity is if you, are good, if you are continue to stay separated from God, the Bible tells us that this separation is going to continue after you die. You're not going to fix this after you die. There is no such thing as purgatory. The Bible doesn't teach purgatory. And so if you're going to fix this problem, you have to do it now. This is what Jesus proclaimed about the availability of the kingdom of God, our ability to get under God's reign. And I said, so my question to you is, do you believe this? And he looked at me, and he paused, and he said, I believe in Star Trek. He said, I believe that there's something out there. I believe that. And you know what happened? After nine months and praying him for nine months, after God opened up that door, God used that conversation to do this, to knock down that barrier. Yes, there is a God. There is something out there. Now, what a lot of Christians would would want me to do, and what I definitely would have done when I was 18, was do this, just like that. We're going like, to go for it. I see an opening. We are going to go for the jugular right now. But I didn't do that. In fact, I said, you believe in Star Trek. Well, I certainly hope the USS Enterprise could get us to our movie because it's going to be late. And then we booked it over to the movie because I believed that I may, be, may, be, I may have been used to knock down this barrier, but I probably was not going to be the person who was going to knock down the Jesus barrier, or the Bible barrier, or the will barrier. Someone else is going to come along. Some of you are worried about family members and friends, where they used to be over there, and now they're over here, 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 and you're like, what's going to go on? You have to believe that there is going to be a Christian that's going to be out there, that is going to begin rubbing shoulders with them and genuinely developing a relationship. And what you need to understand is that there's probably some mother in Indiana somewhere praying for the person that you are working with and you have the ability to be the answer to their prayer. And so when we talk about being bold and not being ashamed of the gospel, it's not about being weird. It's just recognizing that everybody matters to God and that we have the ability to help change their trajectory. Let's pray. Thank you so much, God, for giving us the privilege of even somehow working with you to help people find their way back to a relationship with you. We don't know enough. We're not good enough. We're not holy enough. We struggle. We doubt. Help us to just be honest with non-believers about that. How refreshing that would be. And just to focus on a relationship. God, we commit to you this morning that we're just going to be normal and real and we're going to pray for an open door. And when you send one so big, you can drive a truck through it. 
Give us the strength and the boldness to speak up. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.